From the Los Angeles Times, this is Can't Stop Watching, your TV faves on their TV faves. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. On today's episode, we can't stop watching Michael Douglas. You've seen him in countless movies and TV shows over the years. Now he's playing acting coach Sandy Kaminsky on The Kaminsky Method. It's fun. I draw a lot of my acting classes. We we are fortunate on the show to have just an unbelievable ensemble cast of, of, of actors who I hope if the show continues, we'll get a chance to even do more. In our conversation, Michael reflects on how the film business has changed in the 50 plus years he's been in it. I guess the other big change that's happened is, is the change to digital from celluloid. You're not waiting for the camera. The camera's ready and waiting for you. Michael also talks to me about being mentored by Carl Malden early in his career and what he's still learning today from his Kaminsky Method co-star, Alan Arkin. Let's get to it. Michael, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. I did realize today that I'm getting a little squirrely with the lockdown. You know, we're, we're three and a half months. Yeah, we started beginning of March, so we're, we're over three and a half months. And I realized my response of frustration today was shaded a little bit by three and a half months of lockdown. So. Yeah, it's been a lot. How have you been spending your days? Have you come up with a routine for yourself? Uh, yes, I, I, yeah, I, I have, I've, I've managed to, uh, milk, uh, the New York times and LA times for about two and a half hours in the morning. It can easily, you know, take me two and a half hours to, to get through them, get a nice little workout, a nice lunch, maybe a little nap after lunch. If we want take care of a couple of things, which sort of is my time. And then, and then it's the evening. I'm a news junkie, right? I, I love current events and I love news. And um, I sort of had made a, a promise to myself to kind of stay away from it and everything. And then as we got into this, I said, who the hell are you kidding? This is the, this is the biggest issue in your 75-year life, uh, what's happening right now. So I became a stone-cold uh, junkie. Um, I break it up a little bit now the last month and a half, but I try to just check the news around midday and then in the evening. Uh, but I watch a lot of news. What's your go-to source network? Um, I, I, I go CNN, MSNBC, and, um, and the uh, BBC. Okay. And then I'll check in with Fox once in a while, and I'll check in with the, the other... One in America and the other one just, you know. But, uh, you know, this is taking over the world's medium. I mean, you watch the BBC and it's almost like watching our, our news. It's just, it's a, it's a pretty crazy time. Where are you from? Are you from L.A. or where are you from? I am from L.A., born and raised. There you go. Yeah. So it, it has been hard. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't live close to my mom, who's like in uh, Pico Rivera, close to Whittier. So it's been like hard. I'm not like too close to family. And, you know, I cherish the technology that we have that makes it easier. But it's also, you know, it can be a little exhausting <laughs> getting on the Zoom calls. And I don't know, It's it's been an adjustment for sure. I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you're working out. Yeah, we're just we're about to come out to L.A., bringing my son and, and Catherine uh, to see my uh, my stepmother, Anne, who 
you know, it's been quite, it's been quite a year. And I lost, you know, I lost, she lost her husband. I lost dad in February and uh, haven't been, really been able to get out to see her since then. It's been a little lonely for her. So we're all getting out there to see her now. That'll be a special time. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, but she's doing, I mean, she's doing well, but it'll be, it'll be great. But uh, you guys are having trouble out in L.A. now. I mean, we're, you know, after New York, now uh, Mr. Cuomo's preening around like a peacock as well as he should. And the rest of us is we're like at new lows. Here. Are you somebody that is sort of living in fear? Are you very cautious about your movements and, you know, when you go outside and what precautions you take? Or how, how have you been sort of navigating this? Well, I'm a, I'm I'm. I mean, looking at the statistics uh, for anybody close to my age, this is not a uh, this is not a, a virus that you want to catch. So yeah, we're we're looking. We, we live outside of the city, about a half an hour. So we got little grounds around us. A nice walking trail, kind of a flat trail that was built over an aqueduct system that kind of brought all, connected all of these kind of river towns together. We live in one of the river towns along the Hudson River. And so it's a good walk and, uh, you know, keep moving. You can, I do fine with a mask on. I don't do well with a mask and sunglasses. They clog up so fast. <laughs> yes, that's the constant struggle. Well, I know you you mentioned that you're watching a lot of news, but are you watching any TV? I'm I'm so desperate to know what Michael Douglas watches TV-wise. I'm, I'm catching up with uh, all the episodes of Black Mirror, mm. which uh, I've seen just a little bit, but somebody reminded me, and I went back and just really impressed with uh, with uh, with how good that is. Um, and I'm enjoying, you know, I, I like the first year of Fauda, but I don't watch a lot. Um, you know, like I don't go to a lot of movies. I do, you know, Academy Time with the awards and stuff. I love making movies. I love the process, but I don't dwell on them. Mm. And it's the same thing about television. I, I try to see a little bit of, of the streaming. I have no idea how people are able to see the amount of, of stuff that they do. Uh, there's so much streaming stuff out there. So I, I, I jump around a little bit, but right now I'm enjoying Black Mirror. That's nice. Well, let's talk about the Kaminsky method. I mean, the show is billed as a comedy, but given its subject matter, it often delves into some serious material. And in season two, your character, Sandy Kaminsky, learns he has lung cancer. And he doesn't want to tell people. And then, obviously, it turns out everyone finds out. And you've talked about how you felt your own health scare would forever tarnish you in the industry's eyes. Did you find a deeper connection with the character with this storyline? Like, could you understand his fears and concerns and internal wheel spinning about what was happening to his body? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the short the the, uh, the, the short answer is uh, is is yes. I went went through the whole kit and caboodle as far as the chemo. So it was one of those moments that was easier um, easier to relate to. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, a, lot, a lot of health issues for old Sandy, second season. Has showcasing the realities of what men face as they age provided some catharsis for you? Um, that's a good question. I don't, I don't think so. You know, I, it's sort of like when I, when I got, you know, hit with my, with my cancer, I just kept kind of a, 
you know, let's just get through this, the whole sequence of, uh, of events in terms of the chemo and the radiation and it's all going to be okay. And then, then we'll, then we'll worry. We still got a problem. It's not in remission. And so I certainly take that attitude with, uh, with Sandy, who's uh, hopefully not going to dwell on this, but just, just keep, uh, um, on, on going forward. But it's one of the aspects that I enjoy about playing a character uh, that's my age. We know the prostate issue is one thing. Cancer, of course, is uh, uh, is a little serious, and um, and I, I, I admire Chuck Lorre so much as he as he racks his brains to find humor to find some humor out of all of this. Mm-hmm. Well, this series was the first time you worked with your co-star Ellen Arkin. Two seasons in, how would you describe his work ethic? And have you learned anything from him during this time? Well, I, I've tried to learn from him. I mean, there's certain things, you know, because one of the joys about doing the Kaminsky method for a guy that doesn't do a lot of comedy was at this point in your life, learning, you know, learning a little more about timing, learning a little bit more about delivery. So I, I watch Alan a lot. You know, God knows from his experience at Second City uh, and all of that. And, but I have not mastered his effortlessness, uh, which seems to be the part of the, the uh, equation. I mean, delivery is really, is really interesting. I mean, the delivery in terms of how you get a laugh and what's funny and, and what's not. So um, I, I um, shadow him closely uh on the sets and sort of watching how how he does it i can't say that i'm overly successful in repeating his ability but it's it's a treat it's always uh it's always nice especially with somebody who i never known before i didn't know alan before i know god knows his work big fan but never had, had, had worked for him before and there's that wonderful moment yvonne where you kind of settle in Early in the year, actually, it was like our first scene together uh, in in um, Musso Franks, one of our first scenes, when you just know this is going to be good. This is really going to be good. Where your 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 rhythms kind of match up together. Um, there's a comfort factor. He has such a great shit detector, uh, Alan. You know about smelling truthfulness and honesty that I find uh, really helpful. So it's been a real treat. What's it like between takes with the two of you? He normally, God bless him, has his wife with him, who he loves adoringly, and, and Suzanne, and he gets off to see uh, her a lot. I tend to go back. I'm not a big social uh, guy. Uh, you kind of pace yourself. You know, we're all getting, um, you know, Alan's a few years older than I am. So it's not as if you got a lot of time for small talk and this and that. You got to pace yourself. It's long, long days. But uh, we share, he's a jazz, we share jazz. I love jazz. So does Alan. And he likes to fetch. He loves to fetch and I like to listen. It's a match made in heaven. Well, the show brings in uh, guest stars often and sometimes they're guest stars that you know well, like Danny DeVito. And this season, we see Kathleen Turner, your co-star in Romancing the Stone, uh, as one of your ex-wives. How is it to invite your friends into this world? And did you get much time with Kathleen? Because from what I remember, it was a, mostly a phone call conversation. 
No, it was. No, I, I knocked on her, knocked on her door. Um, she came in, give her a hug and tell her how grateful and happy I was that she was uh, uh, doing it. But it's always, um, it's, well, almost always easier with people that you know, with friends. You know, that's why with Kathleen, I had the benefit of doing, you know, what, three movies together. And you understand why people like um, Hepburn and Tracy do pictures together. You get rid of all that formal shaking hands and try to get to know each other. is a comfort factor, which just allows you to eliminate all of that. So I was very excited when she uh, said it. I thought it would be perfect. You can kind of, uh, when she did it, who knows what the future holds. But I like the kind of the, uh, the War of the Roses kind of animosity between the two and I can an ex-wife, and I think there's a lot of chance for, for some humor that we do very well, dumping on each other, dumping on each other. We do a very, very good job. So she was uh, she was wonderful. Jane Seymour came in for for Alan, did a lovely job. Bob Odenkirk, you know, and I'm just such a fan of his, and that was, uh, that was all Chuck's work in Bob. So that worked out um, very well. And then, of course, Paul Reiser, who um, is, you know, He's funny, man. He's he's funny. Just just a joy to work with. And so I kind of feels like people, you know, see the show. And they like the level of quality that, you know, Alan and I and the rest of the cast are bringing. And they want to come in and do a guest shot, which is flattering. So it's been a it's been a, a nice group. And I love this format, you know, the kind of a half hour show. You know, it's over in a week. Then you got a new episode, new director. Uh, new people. Uh, it's been a long time since I did the streets of San Francisco with back almost uh, 50 years ago, just about. And there too, I shared with a Carl Malden, who's truly my mentor. And sometimes I must think it's 50 years later. But when I look at Alan and I think of Carl and how my 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 career has been bookended by these uh, uh, these two great talents that have uh, that influenced me so much. Well, I was going to ask you about that time, like going back a little bit uh, of what it was like to be mentored by Carl Malden. He was he was he was spectacular. He had first of all, he, Carl originally came from Gary, Indiana, the steel mills. He had a tremendous sense of work ethic of how how valuable this this job was, and so we used to between scenes would work on the next week's script, the next episode, just running lines and this and that. And he set up a quality, a level of quality, so that when guest stars came up or directors, they were on their best footing. They said, hey, look out, those two guys, you know, they, they got their stuff together, they're ready to go. And the writers used to hate us because the scripts are like six to eight pages longer, <laughs> only because we picked up our cues, because we rehearsed a lot, and we picked up our cues and were ready to go. So Carl, you know, just gave me, taught me so much about it. Work ethic, taught me so much about listening. And I um, was just very, very fortunate and grateful. And also in those days, being the second banana in those cop shows and everything else, you normally were like two feet back in soft focus. You know, and the, the lead of the show, Carl was in front. Carl brought me on up there. Come on up, buddy boy. Stand next to me and, and, and this and that. So it was a, a, a great opportunity. And I understand why so many actors like Marlon Brando wanted to work with Carl. Because he gave me the core of realizing how important it was 
to make other actors good. In other words, you want everybody to be as good as they can. And that involves when your other actors, when you are off camera and another actor is doing his close-up, give as, as much as you can to him. Don't just dismiss it because you're off camera. And so he said a level of quality, a level of trying to make the whole show work, not just worried about your character, but to try to make everybody else as effective as possible that's lasted me my entire career. Hmm. Well, I mean, your character, Sandy, is somebody trying to give tools to the next generation of actors. He is somebody who was once a successful actor who is now working as an acting coach in Hollywood. And he offers some, you know, profound lessons this season about finding the truth in a performance. And there's that moment uh, where you perform a scene from doubt. How do you feel when you're in the role of acting coach on the show? It's fun. I draw a lot of my acting classes. We, we are fortunate on the show to have a, just an unbelievable ensemble cast of, of, of actors uh, who I hope if the show continues, we'll get a chance to even do more, you know, and get some more characters and, and more, more ability, more time. But uh, I, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy my studio, enjoy my office. I love working with uh, Sarah, Mindy, my daughter. Um, and it, there's a, it, it feels complete. It, it feels very comfortable and complete. Well, I did want to get some more anecdotes from you about your schooling through Wynn and like how that gave you confidence as an actor. Because I think you've said before that you battled crippling stage fright. So... How how did you sort of overcome that? Uh, well, I overcame that by in two ways: by doing the streets of San Francisco, where I did a hundred and four episodes, a hundred and four hours uh, over four years, six days a week. When you know you're going to get up to bat again and again and again, no matter how terrified you are, and no matter how much those old time cameras look like your dentist x-ray machines, you know, staring at you, you just finally get better. <laughs> you just, you finally sort of relax and you listen because you've been up to bat uh, enough times. And then I also had something happen. I remember somebody early in my career said to me, you know, the camera can always tell when you're lying. And I took that to heart. Ooh, the camera can tell when I'm lying. And I got into this sort of method period there for a while. Everything was painful, and I was acting out of out of real rage or almost pain. And then it was actually really later. I think it was close to like to Fatal Attraction, 85, you know, maybe 10, 15 years later. And I was preparing for Fatal Attraction, and I was looking, and I said, okay, he's a lawyer. Okay, yeah, well, I could be a lawyer. He lives in New York. Well, I, I live in New York. He could have, you know, might have had, might have been an adulterer. Yeah, you know, it's possible. <laughs> and then I realized, well, wait a minute. You know, we're talking about building a character. I mean, this is a lot me. I mean, a lot of this is exposing, exposing yourself. So all of a sudden I realized that also that acting is really lying. That's all it is. It's pretending to be somebody else. And you just have to be a great liar to convince somebody and once I, I made that kind of adjustment, it just gave me the freedom to do much more. Because, of course, uh, 
you know, we, we all tell white lies. And of course, we are actors and try to make them convincing. And that was what allowed me then sort of set my own sense of what's truth. <laughs> and my truth was lying. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by I Know This Much Is True on HBO. I Know This Much Is True follows Dominic Birdsey as he struggles to care for his twin brother Thomas while discovering the truth about his own family history. Based on the best-selling novel by Wally Lamb, the limited series is written and directed by Derek Cyanfrance and stars Mark Ruffalo. The Hollywood Reporter hails the series' tremendous performances and Decider considers the series a stunning work of art. I Know This Much Is True is eligible for outstanding limited series and all other categories. Well, you've come from a family of actors and like, you know, Tony Curtis and Frank Sinatra were guests at your house all the time. How did being witness to all that, seeing the way they conducted themselves, what their insecurities were, how did seeing all that prepare you for a lifetime in the industry? Well, I think that's the biggest advantage uh, of being second generation is that you were able to, even as a young, as a young guy, as a kid, you were able to see your father with his friends that are all the business, and you see their insecurities, you see their foibles, you see them as as as, as real people, you know, laughing and joking, uh, and it takes you know a lot of that mystery uh, uh, away, and also some of the magic, quite honestly, because you kind of see it as a business rather than wide-eyed from coming from. Ohio, coming out to California with all your dreams. You've seen the, the rejection that your family has faced, and you've seen their failures as well as their successes. Because one thing you learn is you work just as hard on your failures as you do on, on uh, your successes. And I do miss the time when I was growing up with, and it's true, both Sinatra, Tony Curtis, Greg Peck. Uh, they were all really close. Danny Kay, close friends of my dad's and and, and my stepmothers, and we, we were over there uh, a lot. But it was a much closer community. You know, everything is, has spread out so much more, you know, and more distances. And I guess the other big change that's happened is, is the change to digital from celluloid. Mm-hmm. And that's been a, a tremendous, uh, tremendous aid, I think, for, for actors. Uh, whereas before you would have these 1,000 foot magazine reels, which is how long you could shoot for, everything had to be with it queued up and edited correctly. And, you know, 254, take one. And now with the digital, you just run and run and run. So you can do a couple of takes, but you can do a pickup and everything else. And it's a, it gives you a much better momentum and energy for actors because you're not waiting for the for the camera. You're, the camera's ready and ready, waiting for you. Sandy is someone whose life just didn't turn out the way he anticipated. Was there a 
kind of stardom or a type of career you were chasing when you became an actor? And when did you reach sort of your own satisfaction with it? Well, I, you know, I got into, I didn't do any acting when I was younger in school until I was in college. And then really I started acting because I didn't know what else to do. And I had to have a major. And so I took theater and slowly started acting and I, and, and I, and I wasn't good. I really worked. I worked hard at it. And then I was fortunate enough to get the, uh, I did a couple of movies, didn't work out, and then got the series. Um, and it really, again, wasn't, I don't think, until until the year of uh, Fatal Attraction in Wall Street, I was like 85, where between the, between the because the, the weird thing that happened is that because I was in television series, even though I won an Oscar for producing, I was still a television actor. So as I began my, my, my feature film career as a producer, there were still a lot of studios where I was not approved as an actor for movies that I was producing. So, for instance, there is a, uh, a movie called Starman, which I developed. And Jeff Bridges did the, the picture because I was not approved um, as a director. He got nominated for an Academy Award. Thank you very much. I was too early on with a couple of other pictures. I was lucky to get... Uh, romancing the stone because uh, the other actors, the stars had passed uh, on it. So the, the point is that one of the beauties that's happened now with streaming is it's allowed people from film to come into the television size box to work with people in television has broken down that barrier. So rather than us being on separate tracks, we all merge and, 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 and come together. But for me, my sense of, uh, of having success wasn't really till about 85 when I felt uh, in a large part that I had stepped out of the shadow of my dad. I felt my, my dad's shadow over me pretty much before then. People saying, oh, you look just like your dad. Oh, that's just like what your dad would do. And, you know, this is, this is one of the few careers where if you're following your father in a business, uh, you better be pretty different. <laughs> What were your discussions like with your father about that? Did you feel any pressure from him? Was it all just internal pressure you felt? Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was all internal. He was wonderful. I mean, as busy as he was, Dad had come to most of my early uh, productions in, in college at the University of California at Santa Barbara. He also was one of the first people when he saw my messenger speech, and much to do about nothing, to say, son, you're terrible. Jesus. You are really, he felt very relieved. I think they didn't have to worry about me becoming an actor based on how bad I was. <laughs> but that's all I needed to hear. So I probably didn't work harder than that than anything. All you need to do is try to prove your dad wrong, you know, when you're 19 years old. And uh, so that's, the, that's the, the way it went. Which character that you've played would you say has taught you the most about yourself? There's a lot to choose from. Wow. Um, I don't, I'd be a hard one. I, I'll tell you one. The only reason I'm mentioning it because we're 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 dealing with the loss of Joel Schumacher, who directed Falling Down. So I guess I have a strong memory today of Joel, who I admired a lot, uh, on a wonderful little movie, Falling Down, that's ended up having a long life. People enjoy it. You know, there's a piece of you, uh, you 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 try to. Unless it's, you know, big characterizations like Liberace, you know, you always have a, a piece of you in most every part uh, 
that you do. And then it's really a question of what's well-written. Pictures like uh, the American uh, president, American president, you know, was, 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 was really well-written. Um, and, and there's others. I liked a little picture called Wonder Boys, had a good cast. So I, I think there's a part of you and uh, everything. I mean, I especially, I'm in that gray area. You know, I do talk about it a lot. I like that gray area, which is not necessarily good or bad. You try to make the right decision, but there's a little element of larceny in all of us. So you, you, you try to do what's right. Uh, and, I, and I like that moral struggle. I enjoy that. Well, there are still so many unknowns in Hollywood right now, production-wise. And I think it's fair to say no one has ever experienced something like this. And I'm sure it's a first for you in your career. Do you worry about when you'll next be on a set? No. No, I mean, I worry worry about about a lot of other things. I mean, I worry about our country. Uh, I never thought I'd be worrying about our democracy. Uh, but I really am. Um, I'm, I'm worried and amazed at the vulnerability at the richest, most powerful country in the history of mankind uh, and how vulnerable uh, we are. Uh, so it'll be what it's going to be. But, you know, this COVID-19 has thrown a lot of curves to us. And there's a lot of unanswered questions. And, you know, one of them still is no one's completely made it clear to me how our country has failed so ultimately compared to any other country in the world. How have we done so poorly? But as far as next time I'm getting to work, it'll be whenever it's it's safe. Uh, I'm fine. I mean, I think we've all found out and explored a lot of situations with this time, this downtime. It's been a wonderful time for for my family, for my wife and our kids have been here, so I really have realized how rare it's going to be. You know, I, my kids are, are out of the house now in terms of if in school or away. And my oldest son's Cameron's acting. But to be able to spend time like this together is, is such a unique quality. So I try to really cherish that in lieu of the, the epidemic. And, and, you know, we'll go whenever they are there. People are smarter than I am or trying to work it out, you know, what's, what's, what's the best way. And I, I guess this is making me think, I'm, I'm not really a religious guy, but I was trying to discover, you know, who worships Mother Nature? Because I'm beginning to think that Mother Nature is, you know, is, is, is my, my goddess. Looking into the Gaia, the Gaia religion. Because between, uh, you know, between this pandemic and the climate and our seas and our heat and this and that, I think she's really telling us that she's not too happy with what's going on. Yeah, it's something we all need to be more mindful of and reflect on during this time for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, before I get to my final question, I have one of my own that I think viewers of the Kaminsky Method, they'll get the reference. Michael, when was the last time you had Cheetos? Uh, uh, when I was on the set. (laughs) They're dangerous. (laughs) They really are. Well, our final question comes from our previous guest, Davine Joy Randolph from uh, High Fidelity. My question is, due to the climate, 
A movie like Falling Down is very topical even now. When you did Falling Down, did you know the impact this movie would have? What was that experience like filming and creating that iconic character? No, I, I, I mean, the script, Ebby Rose Smith wrote the script and it, and it really struck home uh, to me, even though they were developing at the time as a so-called cable, cable movie. But, you know, it was, it was, um, it was after the Vietnam, uh, the Vietnam War. And all of a sudden, and I know it's hard for a lot of people to realize, because you've been in L.A. your whole life. But besides the, uh, the film industry, Los Angeles was also, you know, led in the defense industry. And uh, so I, you know, clearly understood, you know, a guy, a very patriotic guy working in the defense industry. And for a country that had been so successful, the war was over. The war was over and they pink slipped. All these guys working there patriotically to defend our country. I saw the nucleus of that, of somebody boiling over with the rage of what's wrong with this picture. Or here I am as the American and all the things that have gone wrong and taking off on, on a racist attack uh, in a couple of places. But I did not know uh, at the time, although I did think it was hitting a, a, a zeitgeist, you know, a, 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 a moment. And I do like that picture a lot. Wow. Well, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a real pleasure getting to speak with you. Thank you, Yvonne. Thanks so much for uh, your help. And I, I enjoyed it. And stay healthy. You too. Bye-bye. That's it for the 30th episode of Can't Stop Watching. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. Our producer is Paige Heimson, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and a special shout out to Elena Howe for booking the guests for this podcast. And thanks to all of you for listening. After this episode, we're going to take a quick break from Can't Stop Watching, but we'll be back with another set of interviews next month after the Emmy nominations are announced. So stay tuned. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Matt Brennan, and Clint Shaw. We hope you're enjoying this podcast created by the journalists at the LA Times. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Thanks for listening and see you next month. <laughs>